Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey guys, it's Anna David with After Party Pod. I'm recording this in a kind of, well, it's not that it's a loud office. My office is sometimes loud, but right now, the loudest people in this office are outside doing their thing. And, you know, I have been known to ask these people to be quiet, but I feel super obnoxious. So instead, I am doing this and just resenting them silently while also giving them doling out some dirty looks can you guys even hear them um so anyway hey you guys um welcome to the after party pod it is a podcast about addiction recovery healthy relationships fun things i have not recorded one of these in so long because i'm in a i'm in a zone right now where i'm interviewing a bunch of people then i'm doing all the intros then i'm sending them off to our fabulous sound guy who makes these listenable to just not a word. And, um, and, and then, you know, and, and then th- another need piles up. So, so here I am, Hey, um, pressing record is the same as always. I just kind of forget what I tend to say, except that this is such a good one. Um, Shadow Stevens, arguably the guy with the most famous voice in the world, uh, is my guest today. And I'll be honest, I emailed him and thought, no way, no way. And he wrote right back, said he was happy to do it, and came in the following week. So this was a great success story. Um, Okay. Well, I mean, you know about him. Um, he replaced Casey Kasem as the host of American Top 40. Um, he, he, well, he, he, a long time ago, he created and produced Fred R. Rated for Federated, uh, the series of TV commercials that were so popular. Yeah, Time Magazine did a two-page spread um, on him, and he's been in movies and TV shows. He also is an artist. He's written five children's books. Um and done a myriad of other things. Now, the other thing that you may not know about him, well, you might not know that he guest starred on 90210 Baywatch, the Larry Sanders show, among other things. And by the way, uh, when he was on American Top 40, there were, only, there were 1 billion listeners a week which is only slightly more than this podcast has. But anyway, he uh, is over 30 years sober, something that he told own viewers last year. He One of the ways he celebrated his three decades of sobriety is um, through an own 
that's Oprah Winfrey Network uh, special where it they interviewed his beautiful wife, his beautiful daughters, and him. They played ping pong. They did a lot of things. And um, he talked about his sobriety and uh, what it's done for his life. So I had never met him before. I had seen him around, do you hear that dog? I had seen him around our circles, you know, of sobriety. Uh, but he's a brilliant guy. You may need a dictionary um, for some of this. And I don't mean that to be patronizing. I, there were words I didn't know, and I pretended I did. You'll hear that. Uh, but anyway, with that, I give you Shadow Stevens. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I used to call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So I know that you had 30 years, 30 and a half years because I saw the Oprah oh, yeah. special, um, which was great. Yeah, that, uh, that was quite, that was actually quite amazing as life is. Um, it came out of the blue. They uh, came to my house. They interviewed us all over the house um, for hours and hours and hours and showed my artwork. And as a result of that, people at Gallery Michael on Rodeo and Beverly Hills, probably the top gallery on the West Coast, saw it and said, we want to come see your artwork. And they came to my house and they said, oh, we have to do a show. So November 1st of uh, 2014, my art was in a major show with Picasso and oh my god, and Dolly and Chagall. Like it was astonishing. I thought, how did I get here? This is my. <laughs> and, and is it painting? What kind of art is it's, it? Uh, it's mixed media. In fact, it, there's a lot of um, what we talk about in it. It's a the um, the series that they showed is called the Transdimensional Symbolism of Rocky Waters. And it's a series uh, inspired by Salvador Dali's um, Objects of the Future, where he uh, did the piece, and then each piece has an explanation of what it means. So it's a completely self-indulgent art. This is art I did for me. And uh, so I overwrote it, and it has too many words, and I don't care. It's like, if you want to get into it, it's quite deep and vaguely amusing. But it's... um, Rocky Waters is a character that appears in each piece, and it's a metaphor for difficult times. And the first piece said, just when he thought he was winning the game, fate took a turn down a blind alley, and suddenly he was forced to confront fear, doubt, and change. And, mm. and the perks of becoming a ventriloquist dummy for the voice of God. So is that self-indulgent, or isn't that to be of service to other people? Well, I didn't, I didn't do it with the idea of showing it to other people, although you know, maybe in the back of my mind I thought maybe some people might like it. It's, very, um, it's multimedia, and it's uh, um, um, a combination of a, of a style that I made up. Um, I'm pretty good at Photoshop. So I create images in Photoshop and then print them and then cut them into hundreds of pieces and glue them onto the canvas along with the acrylic painting that I've done on it to create these optical illusions that are kind of Escher-like 3D without glasses. 
so they they're kind of a forced perspective and uh expressions of different um experiences that rocky goes through so and they have names like the mellifluous bellow of chronic reality and the magnetic enigmatic and uh, and each piece at the beginning is a descent into more um um fear mm. so he's uh, as he gets to one place and tries uh, unsuccessfully to dabble in meditation he finds much to his chagrin that all of his efforts are thwarted by the relentless and seductive magnetism of his own self-importance. And it's not until deep into the series that he gives up and surrenders. And in surrender, there's the phoenix-like rise up and things happen out of the abyss and the unexpected takes place. And was this based on your journey from addiction to recovery? It is that and a lot of other things, because as you know, um, life throws you curves endlessly. Mm. And um, there are lots of reasons to uh, be beaten up by doubt and fear if you allow that first negative thought to take hold and make a list, which is what I find it does um, in, in my in my look into how the brain works, <clears throat> there's something called negativity bias. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, the brain giving more weight to negative information than positive information. And the bandwagon effect, the brain tending to believe what people around you believe. And mm -hmm. the um, uh, cognitive bias, which is the brain tends to believe what it's predisposed to believe. And then there's the amygdala, always looking for, you know, the phobias, always looking for what's wrong, what else is wrong, you know, there's a saber-toothed tiger coming, oh God, oh, that, you know, and it's that, the, the, uh, the uh, filtering architecture of the human mind is predisposed to being afraid. So what do we do about that? That's the, that's the conundrum. Would you say this is a uh, uh, more extreme for addicts? I mean, this is clearly the human condition. It's truly the human condition, and, but I think for addicts, I think we have swollen, mutated, tumor-sized amygdalas <laughs> that's, that are speaking, screaming really loudly sometimes, and you can't find your way through the, uh, the cacophony of, of um, you suck and you're going to die, or here's, here's the reasons you suck. Let's make a list. And why the 12 steps work so brilliantly, because you address all of these things that sit in the back of your brain or in your subconscious or in your body and wait. Right. And wait for you to be weak and so they can Pounce. rise up. I, you know what's interesting, and, and I don't want to get too specific about what, what is done in 12-step, but, you know, the, this, this part of it that has changed my life more than any other, aside from not doing cocaine constantly, is the, is the resentment part, is the epiphany that I am responsible for... 99.9 .9 of my resentments, I did have one. Like in all these years that I was like, I played no part except I hang on to it. Mm -hmm. um, but the f we're dealing with fear in that same step. And yet, I feel like that's very brushed over. It's sort of like, make a list of your fears. Yeah. 
Whereas the resentment, it's like you make a list, you examine it, then you're using that to then go and, and, and make amends and all of these things. Do you know what I mean? When fear is our, is my and many addicts, you know, biggest issue. Oh, it's totally. It, and, and like they say, you know, a thousand kinds of fear and it, 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 fear that creeps up on you and fear that talks to you and goes, hey, how you doing? Not so good, huh? You know, I understand. You've been really good. You've been really strong. You deserve a break. You really deserve a break because, you know what? You suck. Here's the reason why. And it makes a list of all those secrets and all those dark things that you are ashamed of and your resentments. And your resentments are where you make... You take the resentment of the person and you make it their entire personality. That, that right. they may not even be wrong. It may be a misinterpretation of your brain, but, but our egos are, you know, predisposed to um, being right, right and being superior. So it's got to be them. It can't be me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's such a good point that it, it becomes the entire personality. Suddenly this person is horrible. We forget, like, everyone's God's children or whatever. This is a horrible person. Who behaves like this all the time? Right. Um, and they must do. If they do it to me, they did it for everyone. They do it to everyone. Yeah. And and they really need to suffer. Although I would say my version of that is they only do it to me because that increases my self pity. Yeah. Right. They don't no, do it to good. other people. It's just me because they don't <laughs> like me. But you know about the amygdala, um, you know, and about the sort of the fear that you know our ancestors had to have in order to save their lives. Saber tooth tigers. Yeah. Come on. Um, They're out there. So, you know, and so this is something that, you know, there's all this, in recovery, there's this idea that we have control over it. I mean, I would say this is one of the things my fear latches onto is you got all these tools. Why are you in this? Do you know what I mean? When a lot of it is biological and we, it's beyond our control, especially if our amygdala is tumor size. Yeah, <laughs> swollen, mutated. Um, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's always going, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you can use all the logic you want, but yeah. And it's just like the, the, the same logic of things are going really well now. Yeah, but how long is that going to go on yeah. for? I mean, let's like, take a look at our past. Let's look at the, th the things that went wrong before. Let's show you just how anything can go wrong at any time. And those, there's good reason to be afraid. There's good reason. And you should, you know, you might as well just give up now because it's soon to come anyway. Um, and this delusion that if we if we sort of go over what could happen in our brains, we're going to be prepared. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, or or as if being afraid will get us what we want. Right. Right. That, that's a that's a that's a real big one. You know, I have I have a great story. When I first got sober, and this has become a metaphor for my life, um, I realized that the reason because I grew up in a family that didn't use. Mm -hmm. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't curse, didn't use drugs. Um, my my uh, my parents owned in Jamestown, North Dakota, owned toy stores and clothing stores and go kart tracks and firework stands on the Fourth of July that all the kids worked at. It was really magical, and I'm the only one in the family like this. So I I was really ashamed when I found you know, myself out of control, begging God, you know, 
don't let me die today and and uh, help me I don't know how to stop and uh, I got sober and I realized that it was all these fears endless fears so I had to learn to confront fear so what was the thing I'm most afraid of the most terrifying thing I could think of is jumping out of an airplane right so I took the accelerated freefall course and went out to Paris California took the, all of the course went up into the plane to 14,000 feet to do a freefall it's called the accelerated freefall and I'm sitting there in the fuselage and all these you know buoyant enthusiastic skydivers are all excited and they're, you know, the door is open and we're up at 14,000 feet. And all these guys jumping out, whooping. And then I'm the last one. And the guys, the two guys that jump with you, they, they jump with you to kind of hold on to your... Um, to Parachute? Your, no, to your, to the, to your sides. Um, so that what happens is when you jump out, you, it's so big that you go to, into sensory overload. So it's kind of a whiteout. You, your brain can't contain how big it is and how shocking this is. So it goes, wah, and you're gone. And then if you're lucky, it goes, wah, and you come back. And that's what they watch for. So if you stay gone, they pull the, the parachute for you. <clears throat> but if you come back, which I did, you find yourself falling toward the ground at 120 miles an hour and think, I've got to remember what they told me. Look at the guy on the right, look at the guy on the left, look at the altimeter. Look at the guy on the right, look at the guy on the left, look at the altimeter. <laughs> I'm looking out, falling, and there's a guy out in front of me with a camera on his helmet, and he's waving and smiling. I'm like, ah, okay. And I look down, and I see the altimeters at 4,500 feet, and it's, that's the time when you pull. So I pull the parachute, woof, and all of the people go away. I mean, the guys that are next to you are gone. You're by yourself. And I look up, and the parachute is tangled. Mm. That all of the lines are, like, tangled up above me. And I'm falling at 120 miles an hour, thinking... This is it. There's no one to ask. What do I do? Well, um, when I was a kid on a swing, if you pulled the swing, at the, the lines of the swing, it, you would unwind worth a try so i pull and i go whoa, 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 whoa. and i look up and it's still tangled try again pull harder whoa, 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 whoosh at the last minute when it before it would have been like way too late it would have been really dangerous it goes whomp and it opens up and then i just have to remember how to land so this has become a metaphor <laughs> for every time i go through a transition in life now because it always happens that way Right. It doesn't work out until the end. You get tested and tested and tested, yeah. and your brain's going, it's not going to work, and it's not going, to, and I'm screwed, and I'm going to, and then your mind builds up all that stuff where pretty soon I'm going to be, you know, on the street, and in my case, on a freeway off ramp saying, we'll announce for food. Right. <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> it's like always build this, this dramatic scenario that is a thousand times worse than it ever ends up being. Yeah. That is fascinating. I, I, I jumped out of a plane, but not this accelerator thing. So I had a guy with me the whole mm -hmm. time. Um, so, and he pulled the parachute and all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. But I hated it. You, you know, the exhilaration did not occur with me. And I did it with all these people. We were in New Zealand. And they all landed. They're like, that was amazing. Yeah. 
Uh-uh. But I, then I, I walked, uh, I rappelled down the side of the W Hotel a few years ago. Oh, really? That was amazing. Oh, yeah? But now, how could the parachute have been tangled? What did um, they do wrong? Nobody really knows. You know, it could uh. be just a little um, mistake in the way it was packed. Um, it was just my particular fate to have that happen, maybe for that lesson, so I could share it. Right. You know, and carry it with me because I have to remember, like each time, you know, I reach the end of a job and don't have the next one lined up, despite lots of efforts of here, this, 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 and I am really, I aggressively work at things. I, I create new things uh, as a way of life. And I like to stay busy, and I like to work, and I like to think, and I like to write. And so I've always got projects and things that I believe in. And then I try to network and talk to people, and you know, you do everything that you can to open up the possibilities of the next whatever you're supposed to be doing. Surrender, meditation, all of those things that I, that I believe in. And it always works out. Right. But along the way, you have to live in faith. And so you have to keep referring to the breakthroughs that happened in the past, the, the last minute changes, the things that all of a sudden came together and you didn't see it coming. And your mind always believes that this is it. Yeah. And how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? How right. old are you? How That's old are you? a very common one in my brain, too. Totally. And it, and it doesn't get easier, you know. But I want you to say <laughs> that it does get easier with time. With no, you get time. better. You get better at, if, you, if you're persistent, like we tend to be, you get better at bobbing and weaving. I took uh, martial arts for 20 years and, mm -hmm. and studied with the top kickboxer in the world, uh, Benny the Jet. Mm -hmm. undefeated world champion and he said when you get in the ring bob and weave keep moving if you get hit don't take it personal keep your sense of humor he said that thousands of times and it applies mm -hmm. to life bob and weave keep moving if you get hit don't take it personal uh, yeah. keep your sense of humor yeah so easy right yeah well it's it's like it stay in motion and yet it's just like like we learn in 12-step uh, programs, you know, act your way into the right thinking. You know, stay in motion, keep trying, don't give up. You know, what I uh, will try to refer back to in my brain when I'm in that state is, um, you know, I, a miracle was performed in my life and hundreds if not thousands of people I know where this thing that I tried very hard to stop and I tried literally everything within two months of showing up at this place I knew would be the worst place on earth because I know nothing about it, but I was convinced 12-step was just really the end of life. And, and then doing some very simple but not easy things, um, this desire went away, which makes absolutely no sense. And then my brain kind of, to undermine myself, it's like, well, you did it, so it can't be that hard. Mm -hmm. You know, with books, I'm always telling people like, oh, it's super easy because I did it. So how hard could it be? Mm -hmm. I'm not that great, you know? And, and so I forget every day that like this was a miracle that happened to me. And yet I lack faith on the tiny things mm -hmm. or the big things. But the biggest thing of ever happened. So how could I lack faith? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's that same thing. The brain goes, yeah, but yeah, yeah it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really that much. I mean, yeah, you, you got lucky. 
Yeah. You know, whatever lucky is. Right, you right. Know, I'm, not even, I'm not even sure what if there is such a thing called luck. Right. But but it, it's that's why it's important to constantly remember every positive shift or gift or uh, transition that happened like that. See, just absolutely, like for me too, the worst day of my life, checking into that rehab, I was beaten and humiliated and ashamed. What did my family think of me? I will never have fun again. I'll never be creative again. Right. Wrong about everything. Yeah. Just complete, couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. And I check in, and as fate would have it, my roommate turned out to be really brilliant and just wired exactly like me, preferred cocaine and crystal meth, wants to be up, up, and up doing things. So we wrote poetry, and we did art, and, we, and he made me laugh. And I thought, well, I'll give it a day. <laughs> and then the second day, I'll give it one more. We became known as the hideous twins because we had a lot of opinions mm -hmm. and we were vo quite vocal about them mm -hmm. we were voted least likely to succeed by the counselors <laughs> because we would speak up because we were the elite of the mentally ill we were cocaine addicts thank you right <laughs> everybody was talking about well they weren't even talking about alcohol that much they were talking about steps and things that didn't make any sense at all right and um, all we wanted to do was learn how to not use drugs yeah I didn't... Or to use a little bit of drugs? Did you want to learn it, that? Use it sensibly. Yeah. Yeah. Like just to have a good time, maybe on a Saturday night. Right. Um, or, and, and, and I didn't think that I was an alcoholic. They asked me in, in the uh, hospital, do you, how much do you drink? Well, I have a, a glass of wine with dinner now and then. I forgot that I was drinking a quart of Canadian Club and <laughs> tequila and Cobassier and wine and anything anybody put in front of me every day. I tried to get off cocaine by, um, by um, just working out and drinking a magnum of champagne every day. <laughs> and this went on for a month. And so I, I you know, no, no cocaine, okay, I've got no more. And one of the guys that worked for me said, good news. I saved a gram. Mm. I've held it for this whole month. Enough for one line for each of us. We can go to a movie and hang out, <laughs> drink some champagne. Yeah. And that one line was like, it owned me. It was like, uh, and all I could think about all night long was how do I get more? How do I get more? And within days, I was buying an ounce. Yeah. So you had, was that the longest you had stopped since you started? A month while you were drinking? Yeah. Yeah, you know how it is, you know, you, you, you're determined, you beg, I will not do it anymore. Yeah. I, I've hit the end. Clearly, this is a sign. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's a sign. I'm not going to do this. And within the day, you're making the call because you just got to get through the day. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I had a job. Despite being unemployable, I had a job at a website. And I had decided my grandmother lived in Palm Springs. And so I had decided Friday evening, when I got out of work, I was going to drive to Palm Springs so that I would be away from cocaine. Uh, I didn't buy cocaine in Palm idea. Springs. It was a great idea. Except that the boss that day goes, good news, y'all get the afternoon off. So at noon, I don't know what to do. I don't know why I couldn't have driven to Palm Springs. Anyway, I had to call my dealer. 
because Gross. what else was I going to do with myself? And then, so I ended up doing coke to like whatever, 10 in the morning and driving to Palm Springs wired and sleeping for two days and driving back. Mm-hmm. Those were my, those were my systems. Yeah. Not yeah. effective. Not exactly. You know, yeah, they don't work uh, that well. And Tapering off isn't something that you can do. Well, and then the, the delusion, I mean, for me, and it sounds like for you that I could drink and not do cocaine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't get it. It was a revelation to me when they said uh, in rehab, they said, no, you don't do anything. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, oh. What? Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. I could, I could see why that would make sense. Because I, I drink and then I get kind of loose and I lose my willpower and I go, well, I need to be up. Yeah. So then I'm back. Did you and you have stayed sober since that rehab? Yeah, yeah. What about that guy? Are you still in touch with your roommate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're best friends. Oh, my God. That's miraculous. Yeah. No, it's, it's terrific. On my, uh, he relapsed a couple of times along the way, but he's been sober a long time now. But um, <clears throat> he had one of those. You know, I used, um, I used into convulsions. I, um, but just snorting. Uh, well, yeah, or smoking. Yeah. Um, free base. But, um, but also crystal meth. Yeah. At the same time, uh, whatever was available. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I, I built uh, ounces into my budgets of my production company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we shared our vibrations, me and the, the crew. And then I started thinking, you know, they should really get their own. And I would hold more back and hide it in the ceiling and take it home and I go home like uh, I lived in Malibu Canyon and uh, go into the bathroom for a couple of hours and then come out and and go to the bedroom and then I would hear something outside the window and it sounded like this and I would look and I couldn't see anything so I I put sheets over the windows and the doors, and I realized you can see silhouettes through sheets. Mm-hmm. So I put quilts over the sheets, <laughs> over the windows and the doors. Then I realized you can see around the cracks, around quilts. Mm-hmm. So I put nails at one-inch intervals mm-hmm. around the quilts. And, uh, and I'd also, <clears throat> you know, I'd gained 50 pounds because I didn't stop anything else either. Mm-hmm. Eating, drinking, now we were up to a case of beer a day and... And so I quit beer, cold turkey, and came up with this solution, which was a tumbler filled with ice and a cap full of Canadian Club and the rest sparkling water. And then I would have a delightful spritzer mm-hmm. that would balance my blood sugar and allow me to maintain while I'm going at high octane. And uh, I could be, you know, take the edge off. And then it was two caps, and then it was a glug of Canadian Club, and then it was mostly Canadian Club and a little water. And I had this with me 24 hours a day. I'd also uh, gotten into guns because you can never be too careful. Well, those people outside whispering it. That's know. exactly right. It's exactly right. And you just don't know if they're there or if you're insane. And so I had a short barrel 12-gauge shotgun, a Beretta, a 45, and a mercenary gun that would okay. fit in a wallet in your so when you're walking down the street and people say give me your wallet i take them out see luck do you never did you ever shoot those guys no and the and the truth is i was terrified all the time i thought 
Someone was trying to kill me. At one point, I hired armed guards to be in my house through the night oh my God. so that I could go into the bathroom and bolt the door and you know, turn on the bath and do more drugs, and uh, I would be okay. And Because I honestly didn't know what was real. Yeah. And so that one night in particular, I decided I'd go confront my destiny mm-hmm. and stalked outside the window and sat beneath the door with, uh, with my 12-gauge and waited until I heard a rustle in the bush and then jumped up screaming, now you die. And I chased whatever through the bush and they got away. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the bathroom to celebrate mm-hmm. and bolt the door and put a knife through the frame into the door and then towels under the door and around the edges and around the windows and turned on the bath. Mm-hmm. So now I could drink more, have another hit. And then I started having this where I my eyes would roll back and tongue out and my head would crack on the floor. Crack, mm-hmm. crack, crack, crack. As I went into convulsions. Mm-hmm. And after the convulsion, I would uh, think that was a good hit. I should, you know, take a breather. So now about this time, I saw my regular doctor. I'd, I'd had a pill doctor named Dr. Lax. Mm, good name. Dr. Lax. Weighed 350 pounds and wrote prescriptions on his stomach. And I saw him for five years every month. And <clears throat> he would sell me amyl nitrate from behind his desk at a dozen at a pop. As an awful man. And Did he saw, ever get busted? He got busted, yeah. And, uh, and, and went down in flames and, and really deserved it. But I saw my regular doctor and, and the doctor um, gave me a physical and he said, well, if you're lucky, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Don't think you're gonna be that lucky. I think you're gonna have a heart attack or a stroke any minute, right? Maybe now. You're so full of toxins, your, your blood pressure's high, your cholesterol's high, I mean, everything's wrong. You're 50 pounds overweight and uh, suggested that I might want to think about going to AA. Mm-hmm. The worst idea in the world. Worst idea in the world. It's like, yeah, I'm not that bad. Please. (laughs) Jesus. So I didn't. And I had many more convulsions on the floor. Mm. And and had an overdose in my studio. Um, My friends came and and found me and called my parents. And they intervened. So I go into rehab and I meet this guy. And and we get sober together. And uh, five years later... I had, uh, in, when I was nine months sober, I met, uh, this girl was delivered to my studio by a guy who worked for me uh, in the music department. He met her at the bank, mm-hmm. uh, a, a black model named Beverly. And I walked in the room as he was playing music for her and it was like, holy Jesus. So uh, we've been together ever since. Yeah. And uh, a year later we got married and uh, within the year, we had Amber. <clears throat> and, um, and so uh, five years go by, and um, on our anniversary of getting sober, uh, my friend Will says, I got a surprise for you. I want you to go down to Mission Bay in San Diego at sunset. And he tells me where to go, and we go there, and it's Amber and Beverly and I. And we um, find a gondola with an actual Italian and fruit and cheese and soft drinks and we sail out into the bay in the, in the most magical cinematic night of all time with the blue sky and puffy clouds and seagulls soaring and 
and he was playing Italian operas, and it mm. was very, very magical for like an hour and a half, mm. up and down the coast, quiet, just relaxing. And, and as the sun setting, this is absolute true, it was just right out of the movies, they're like the rays of the sun going through the sky, and, um, and Amber was asleep under one arm, and Beverly was uh, under my other arm, and Julio Iglesias came on, and I thought that's so weird, I've always hated Julio Iglesias. And, <laughs> and this time tears were running down my face, and I saw myself on the bathroom floor in convulsions, and I thought, I almost missed this. It's like, oh, God, it was so moving, so like, oh my God, life can be so astonishing. And that's like the first time that happened, but it's happened dozens of times over the years. Mm -hmm. I, uh, they, they threw me a flash mob a few years ago in Santa Monica for my birthday. And hundreds of people mm. showed up, and my daughters are up there dancing, and all these people are dancing. My mother, who's 90 years old, dances through the crowd with a big banner, says, Happy birthday. <clears throat> Another one. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, the, the art gallery mm -hmm. thing. Um, Amber got married in December, and I walked her down the aisle. I had another one of those peak moments, like, whoa. Almost miss this, mm -hmm. and each time that happens, is, there's like kind of a tremble, mm -hmm. and you go, "Got to remember this." Yeah, got to remember this because your brain is going to go, "Yeah, but." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. It's um, it's amazing. I don't know about you, but how little I cared about living or dying before. Yeah, just it was all about sensation, like escape. Um, and intensity. Mm -hmm. I wanted. I, I I didn't like heroin. Um, I thought it was an ugly death, dead drug. Mm -hmm. Made me feel dead. And I thought, why do you like this? This is an ugly feeling. Um, I wanted to be up and more up, doing more things, having more intense life, more mm -hmm. intense experiences, and uh, and keep going mm -hmm. through the night into the next day into mm -hmm. the next day. And, uh, you know, too much is never enough. And, of course, you know, uh, it just gets worse and worse and uglier and uglier as you get into, you know, cocaine psychosis and not knowing what's real and hearing things and your body's covered with a million invisible bugs. And, mm -hmm. and you think your best idea is, I'll be okay if I just do a little more. Yeah. Trying to get back to that first time is what I think. Yeah, exactly. Chasing, chasing that, that one peak moment. Yeah. I had the same thing with LSD. I had one extraordinary, in fact, it changed my life. But then I chased it for the next 10 years. Yeah. Kept doing more. Kept, and then, you know, that's unpredictable because you can go into really terrifying places. Yeah. And uh, the same universe that you look at that was so extraordinarily beautiful and mystical turns dark and bleak and empty yeah. and terrifying. I never did acid for that exact reason. Mm -hmm. Never appealed to me. I mean, like you, I wanted to go up. Yeah, be happy. And I didn't want to do drugs to uh, learn more about my brain. I wanted to do drugs to escape it. 
You yeah. know what I mean? And and ass, it just seemed like, oh God, what a journey in there that I don't want to go on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do stuff. I need to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do meth, but I understand that you guys would take apart radios and put them back together and do all sorts of very useful things. Yeah. You, well, also there's, there's that crucial thing about solving the world's problems. You yeah. Know? Well, cocaine. You have to talk. You solve a lot, lot of problems. Of, yeah. You make a lot of plans with those people you're doing cocaine with. Yes. Yes. And, and, and uh, discuss a lot of the problems of the world that you have solutions for. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then... And, and they're good, you know what I mean? Really I, good ideas. <laughs> yeah. I've got so, a lot of I've got a lot of mine on video and in notebooks. Oh, really? That's like amazing. really crazy, like peak experiences of, like the the babbling, um, Orlock, the creature that's speaking through you, and it's like this run-on crazy writing, or 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 peak things on LSD that that make you that are like epiphanies yeah you know it'll be like words that just have a magical quality like an amoeba may scowl but the nose knows that's <laughs> that's brilliant yeah. <laughs> so i had a question for you regarding uh, you know going back to the amygdala and like this idea that ours are bigger would how much would you say addicts and alcoholics whatever i use them interchangeably are born that way, and how much do you think drugs and alcohol exacerbate that? You know, I'm just not sure. In my case, it seems that it was inherited, but I don't have any line of um, family history that gives me a lot of validation of that mm -hmm. but it, only that in a family where i'm the oldest of five i'm the only one right that ended up like that and i can't account for that my my I had a brother who smoked a lot of grass and did a lot of uh drugs got busted once and went that's it done not going to do that again right they didn't stop me now were there grandparents uncles aunts anybody well Nobody really talked about it. Yeah. There might, might have been, my grandfather might in his later years have had a stash of something in the cupboard, but, you know, <clears throat> we're, it's Norwegian, German, you know, people. And, you know, among the things we, you know, didn't say I love you and we didn't hug and, and that all changed after I got sober, by right. the way, you know, yeah. my parents was like, what? Oh, Oh, we need to do that? Oh, oh, no problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I love you. Oh, God, you really matter. Uh, okay, great. It's just great. And uh, so as far as, um, you know, because we grew up because my parent, my dad went through World War II without drinking. Mm -hmm. He said, what do you want to drink for? It makes you loud and stupid. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, he would trade his rations, his whiskey rations, you know, for Jeeps, you know, right. for, for like really tangible Good things, stuff, phot right. photography equipment and stuff. And so I grew up in a household where they didn't have alcohol and they had giant parties, but there were b games. My dad loved games and he would organize the games and write all the notes and get people in. And then they would win prizes like big stuffed pandas and That's toys awesome. from the toy store and stuff. And you'd hear these big 
people roaring with laughter downstairs, and it was all like uh, they're in the game. Could you play? I mean, that's a child-friendly party. Uh, well, we could, but we played games on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was really big about when we got together, he would organize and, and always know how to play the games, which I always would forget. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I was never like, uh, I liked playing them once I was playing them, but it was never something I was compelled to do. Now, when did you first drink and when did you first do drugs? I didn't have a drink until uh, the end of football season when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And we decided to celebrate uh, with our girlfriends. And we went out to the lake house and uh, I drank a half pint of orange vodka. I knew nothing about alcohol. Orange vodka? Yeah, it was terrible. Ew. And so it burned and, and I was like, ew, well, that's a weird dude. And then I, I threw up and threw up and yeah. threw up. I threw up for hours. I wandered deliriously in the street, just throwing up, going, why do you like this? This is dumb. I, it's like my dad said. It's like, God. And I vowed never to drink. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I was kind of, kind of sheltered in this, in this Norman Rockwell world. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I got out of high school and I, and I was going, I was accepted at Art Center School here in Los Angeles okay. and at San Diego State. So we came out to see California and it freaked me out that everyone in California was cool. Mm-hmm. And they all knew I wasn't, I was a hick from North Dakota and I never mentioned it again. I quickly signed up to go to the University of North Dakota and then I went there and even that was really hard. And I got there and quickly joined a fraternity because I needed a family around me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I drank to fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, the big parties, um, they would have keg parties and I would drink. And, but it never occurred to me to drink any other time. I was very motivated. I was into radio and on the air and working full time. And um, in my fourth year of college, I... I um, moved to the University of Arizona in Tucson and, um, and worked there. And in my fifth year of college, um, a guy said, you know, you got to try weed. I mean, it's like a plant. <laughs> it's not like it leads to heroin. And so they talked me into it. And so they, my, my first introduction was in a, an apartment with like this $5,000 sound system and black light posters and a giant hookah that sat in the middle of the floor, like a four foot tall hookah mm-hmm. with all these tubes that went up mm-hmm. there. Okay, just inhale this. Blip, 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 blip. It was easy. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened and blip, 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 mm-hmm. blip, blip. And then the ceiling expanded mm-hmm. and the music got louder and it moved on the left and on the right and I could see, I was moving with it. And it was, an epiphany was extraordinary. And I turned to my friend and I said, wow, it's like, no wonder you haven't been able to explain this. It's like trying to explain the color blue to a blind man. It's experiential. I'm so thirsty. (laughs) And so I got something to drink and I bought my first ounce that night. Mm -hmm. Within a month, I bought my first pound. Wow. Then I moved to Boston, and I was working in Boston, and we, shared, we smoked every day. 
we you know we laughed for no reasons at things that weren't funny and mm-hmm. and had a great old time and the guy said want to try some acid said, what's that ah, it's like grass more intense mm-hmm. lasts longer i'm in so my first acid experience was in this tiny little like Honda Civic it was called an Austin America it was a terrible little car and I was in the driver's seat and we had dropped and I was double parked on Beacon Hill mm-hmm. and my friends went out to get donuts and um, it came on and it was like oh my god I don't know who I am my hands are like and my friends are skipping down the street in slow motion, <laughs> eating their donuts, laughing. Ah, ah, ah. Get in the goddamn car. What is this? What did you do? Now, you would think that a really terrifying experience would make any sane person go, I am never doing that again. Right. Not me. I'm in. So you, did you like it or did you think it'll be different this time? No, because, you know, as you get used to that experience, you have moments of hilarity and um, things that you discover. Mm -hmm. And now you want to have that discovery more. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a spiritual thing with me. And some of it was, you know, like, I'm just wanting to escape and have fun. But... It was, it was what is beyond this physical universe. <clears throat> and so when I had my peak experience, which was out-of-body experience, um, in Big Sur. Good place to have it. Yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. I, I mean, I closed my eyes and heard the roar of Ohm inside, <clears throat> and I saw these countless Hindu gods, and I thought, I've got to find my way back here without drugs. So I started studying relentlessly, like trying to find answers, you know, in comparative religion and quantum physics and um, the occult and out-of-body experiences and meditation. So I learned meditation, and I, um, I thought, i got to try this. So I stopped drinking and, and drugs and meditated for a year and was doing really well happy mm-hmm. things are going well mm-hmm. and a guy came into my studio um a producer of the blues brothers movie mm-hmm. and he laid down an ounce of cocaine and said have as much as you want it's just for the work mm-hmm. and you know it was a long night and i started thinking you know i have been really good yeah clearly i can pick it up or put it down and stop anytime i want what would a little needle line hurt yeah so i carved one out <laughs> You know, and then I did two because you have two nostrils. And mm-hmm. I did two more to balance the hemispheres of my brain. Mm-hmm. Then I did four more to sustain the elevated state and the conquering of world problems. Mm-hmm. And it was a creative session. After all, we were mm-hmm. doing great work. And we worked through the night and the next day and the next night and the next day. And then I bought my own ounce. Mm-hmm. And then I built them into my budgets. And then... I was off and running. So how many years uh, did you spend doing that? Um, let's see. When it got really um, hardcore, about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a, a good two of those were really out of control and uh, you know a lot of convulsions and and how I lived through it I, I don't have any idea it's uh, you know why I didn't end up like Heath Ledger is you know incomprehensible did you well though I mean it is because uh, I used to do coke and, and then go my heart would race and I'd be like eh, maybe I won't wake up tomorrow solve the coke problem um, but you know opiates and all the stuff going on today I mean it is so easy mm-hmm. to die from that in mm-hmm. a way that cocaine and meth it's you know that misery just goes on and on and on yeah um, which I didn't know because I, you know, I did my fair share of opiates. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, even though I didn't like, well, I did like opium. Mm-hmm. I liked opium a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, opium and cocaine was mm-hmm. quite uh, wonderful because I had energy and I was in that kind of oily, mystical, dreamlike world mm-hmm. that the world becomes, and uh, and that was pretty terrific. I I just I didn't like heroin the nausea and the itching and all that and the nodding i hated the nodding christ did you shoot it up no i no no i just um i just snorted cocaine or uh, heroin and i didn't like that i didn't want to go further mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. this is not for me this is not fun this is like empty and dead I, you know, I did it once and I loved it. I thought, really? like, this is like cocaine, but I'm I'm not so jittery. That was my experience. And then, but you didn't have the uh, the no. itching and the nausea. No, none oh, of it. Geez. I mean, God, I hated that. So and so, in terms of your career, what when did that take off in light of sobriety and all this using? Were you kicking ass in the career at this point? Yeah, I was um, at the at the time when I was reaching. Full blossom. Mm-hmm. I was um, doing a, a, a an advertising campaign that I created, the Federated mm-hmm. Group, and the, it was the most successful uh, ad campaign in U.S. history, right. a regional campaign. And um, the uh, the company had gone from fourteen little stores to seventy eight stores in five states, like superstores, like Best Buy type stores, in four years. And it was largely due to this campaign, which was really funny and really um, unpredictable. And there were so many of them. No com- no commercial ever ro- ran longer than 10 days. So we would turn out six or eight commercials a week. Wow. It was like a machine, me and the guys. And in the middle of that run is when I was hitting bottom. <clears throat> and... I could see it, and you could see it in the, in the quality of the commercials. They, a lot of them were still funny, and then they started getting weirder and mm-hmm. darker, and and the quality and the way I looked because I had gained so much weight, and, and it was all falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did this thing um, where I I bought the whole team motorcycles mm-hmm. because we were doing so well. And it was like a, a perk. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, we got a truck and put the motorcycles and all of the camera gear in this truck. And then we had an RV. And we loaded up and got into the RV and had, uh, you know, kegs of, of stuff to drink and, and uh, um, a couple ounces of cocaine and um, 
and these little magic mushrooms from South America that look like aliens. They look mm -hmm. like little people. Mm -hmm. And when you ate them, your body went into like kind of rainbow colors. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we um, had a sober driver who drove us to Big Sur. We call it Fear and Loathing in Big Sur. And mm -hmm. this, some of this is chronicled. Uh, you can watch it online on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, there's one called Laugh Now, Think Later, and which is a long version of, of stuff of my life. And then there's one called Bludgeon Advertising. And they both contain this, because uh, one of the guys in the crew carried a, um, a minicam with him, mm -hmm. and he took lots of shots along the way of things we were going through. And... Uh, and I'm hitting real big bottom at this time. And then three weeks later, I checked into rehab. And you can see the kind of delirium. It's all kind of still kind of funny and up. You don't see the dark stuff, of course, right. but but um, you can see that this guy is clearly, you know, gone. Now, how did you have time to do that and to spend your um, so much time in the bathroom with the? Uh that was always when I got home at night. Okay. Because um, or sometimes I didn't go home at all. Um, uh, I was married to someone else at that time, and the girl that was in the commercials, and we had a terrible relationship. We fought every day, like screaming, put fists through the walls, and uh, and so sometimes I wouldn't go home at all. I'd just stay in the studio and and keep going. And then when I did go home, then I would like stay downstairs in the bathroom and and uh, be by myself, mm -hmm. and um, and then go, get up the next day and go in because I was always um, motivated to work. I wanted to work and I liked working, and I liked the team. I had like none of the none of the guys who worked with me and they were they were all doing drugs like I was, but none of them went out like I did. Right. They uh, they all said, okay, I've had enough. Yeah. I don't do this anymore. How weird those people are. Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, I mean, I I know when I got sober and I started going to parties and I saw those people that don't go to the bar and do shots right when they get to a party. Yeah. So weird. I know. Why would you go? Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> um, and so, and so, uh, but, but then you started... Did the career, how much did it take off once you got sober? Oh, like a rocket. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, for me, it was uh, one of those uh, 180 degrees overnight. I was in rehab for 31 days, came back, decided reluctantly to go to meetings. And I would sit in the back and never participate. And I would only hear about cocaine, coke. And, but little by little, I started hearing things like you should get a sponsor and, all right, Christ. And I get a sponsor and I agree to call him every day and, and my life just got better. I went on a doctor supervised fast and um, lost 50 pounds over a few months. And uh, during that time, I realized, I, I began to call it, uh, the, say that I was a polychronic addictionist, that I'm addicted to anything I try twice and like. It started simply enough with um, juicy fruit. So I needed something to chew. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I discovered double bubble. And then it was double mm. bubble and juicy fruit. And then I got into um, uh, hubba bubble. And there was hubba bubble, double bubble, and um, juicy fruit. 
And then my secretary discovered that I had this love of gum and bought me a fishbowl and bought me packages and packages of a variety mm -hmm. and filled up the bowl and I just had to pick out one at a time. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered Bubblicious. Mm -hmm. Bubblicious. Life-changing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Watermelon. Oh, yeah. But, it, but the flavor goes away so quickly. So, so quickly. So then you just like, you know, dump replace. it, grab another one. Yeah. And I did this all day long until one day I, I looked in the bathroom mirror and my teeth were coated with sugar. You know, it was like nasty. And I thought, I can't do anything normal. Oh. I am addicted to everything. Jesus. And so I decided to go cold turkey, and mm -hmm. now I'm uh, 30 years off of Hubba Bubble. Yeah, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. There probably is a 12-step program for that now. <laughs> there may be, yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> there, there's one yeah. for everything, I think. Yeah, Gum Anonymous. Uh, yeah, I... So, and so, what are some other sort of addictive relationships you've had with things over the years? Or ha did you get it and you go, okay, I can't do anything that I could... Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's happening with food. You know, mm -hmm. the only way for me to, and I'm doing it again right now, it's like fasting. Really? Like liquid uh, liquid diet. I use Metarex, uh -huh. and it's a, it's a really great tasting um, substitute with low fat, low sugar, low everything, lots of protein and, and everything that you need. It was d designed for by doctors for people who are bedridden, and then the bodybuilders picked it up in the 90s. And I make this drink out of it. And I drink half of it first thing in the morning and another half midday and or mid morning and then another one I make another one at noon and another one mid afternoon. And if I don't take the first bite, mm -hmm. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. My blood sugar's fine, this stuff keeps me stable. It's uh, low calorie, I get through the day. And then I just do another day and another day and and then pretty soon I take off the weight. So that was like you know, kind of a revelation for me. I'd smoke cigarettes, you know, relentlessly. Mm -hmm. And I had to do the same thing. I, I, I uh, took up martial arts and yoga. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I got to the point where I couldn't stand the way I felt. Mm -hmm. But then I, uh, years later, I would have a cigar now and then. And it was just with friends, and I enjoyed the sensation. And it was, like, relaxing. And, and then it was maybe once a week, and then it was only Cubans, mm -hmm. the only good ones. Mm -hmm. And then it was taking pride in only smoking a half a really good one a day. Mm -hmm. And my daughters grabbed me and pulled me aside and said, we know what you're doing. We know you're smoking every day. We know what happens with mouth cancer and everything else that can come of it. And then Amber started crying and saying, I don't know what I would do if something happened to I was like, God, I can't do I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. I can't smoke a cigar now and then just like to be social. <laughs> so I stopped that too. <laughs> mm. I mean that's a more effective intervention than an intervention. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty powerful one when you're beautiful heartbreakingly beautiful daughters pull you aside and say we have to have a talk and and amber is a very successful actress it's amber right yeah yeah she uh, was in 22 jump street uh, last mm -hmm. summer and uh she was just signed to do a new nbc sip sitcom that starts in august i think it's going to be called carmichael mm -hmm. it's gerard carmichael the hot young black comic and mm -hmm. she plays his girlfriend it's really good yeah um David Allen Greer and Loretta Devine play his parents, and they're like Archie and Edith Bunker. 
the black version. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the chemistry is so good, and uh, that starts uh, beginning of August. And so, what is your life like today? Do you still meditate? I meditate two hours a day at three in the morning. Oh my God! I have for almost four years. I've never missed. What form of meditation is it? <clears throat> I do Kriya Yoga. Mm-hmm. It's the kind taught by uh, Yogananda mm-hmm. Self Realization Fellowship. I started years ago. Um, I did transcendental meditation, and then I wanted something more personal, and I got into Vedanta, mm-hmm. which is based on the Vedas, and I was um, taught how to that kind of meditation. Then years later, I got into SRF and really liked Yogananda, and then was um, initiated into Kriya Yoga, but then I didn't do it, and I went back to Vedanta, and back to my old kind of teachings and then I met I I was doing this this project which you can see online called Mental Radio mentalradio.net mm-hmm. and on it I uh, interviewed um Yogi Raj um Gurunath Siddhanath mm-hmm. a, a Himalayan yogi who's meditated in the caves in the Himalayas which impresses the hell out of me yeah so I I have this long talk with him about god and meditation and Kriya Yoga, which he teaches. <clears throat> and it's all that lineage of Yogananda and, and these line of masters. And it's called the lightning path, which immediately speaks to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, you know, the, the one that is more powerful, mm-hmm. bigger, faster, mm-hmm. uh, deeper. Better. And why it, it was astonishing. And, uh, and it was so impressive to me. He was so articulate. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life and really articulate and so i said well will you reinitiate me and teach me you know the the way the himalayan masters and he said yes and so he did and i started waking up in the middle of the night and i couldn't sleep Mm -hmm. either get up and meditate or lie there and listen to your heart Mm -hmm. choose so i started getting up and that has happened every day for three and three quarters years and um and sometimes uh if my body hurts too much or if i'm too tired um i only get in an hour but most of the time it's two hours and sometimes longer because i I, and every night it's hard every single night it's hard and it's going well i'm not going to make it today but within five minutes you get lit up and they call it the lightless light. Mm-hmm. It is an extraordinary feeling. And your body gets really quiet, like it's asleep. But your consciousness is awake. The I am, the, 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 um, the witness, mm-hmm. that part of you that isn't the body. And what you discover is that it's infinite within as it is infinite without. Mm-hmm. As you look at the universe and the stars and all that, inside is the same it's the same and the deeper you go in the deeper it is Mm -hmm. so there is a it it, and uh, an endless kind of evolution and and expansion of consciousness that happens by the act of doing it a lot Mm -hmm. and the other thing that happens because it's all about concentration Meditation is all about concentration. Mm-hmm. It's all about putting all of your attention on one thing. And it starts with the breath. 
and you put all of your attention on here. You breathe in, and then you breathe out. You breathe in, hold it a little bit at the top, and then breathe out. And then you can do the golden lotus meditation, which is seeing a lotus flower in your chest. And as you breathe in, the petals open. And as you breathe out, the petals close. And it's really that simple. And what happens if you try it is that you sit there and you'll go, this doesn't work for me. This might work for him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've got things to do. I've got those emails. I forgot to write David, and I'm supposed to get that thing ready for tomorrow. And I've got, and it's like your mind goes chitter chatter, chitter chatter, and and it's thinking of things you have to do. And you don't try to stop it. You just go back to all of your attention on the breath, breathing in, breathing out. And if you persist, your body gets into that quiet, sleep-like state, and then you go, oh, I need more of this. Right. This is really extraordinary. And um, and then you can learn methods that take you deeper, that are more powerful. The other side benefit is that because it's all about concentration, it makes it better for every part of your life, for problem solving, for learning new programs, for learning languages or math or anything that you want to learn in life. Um, reading, retention, everything is improved because you're in the practice of concentration. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I do an offshoot of Transcendental called Vedic, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't say my concentration. I've been doing it for a long, like twelve years. Mm. I wouldn't say my concentration abilities have improved, which leads to I you don't know if you ever have this. Oh, I'm doing this wrong. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Doing it wrong. Yeah, I can't do it because there are so many things to to focus on that you're sure that the focus that you're able to do isn't. The focus that you really should be You're doing. You're meant to do. Yeah. And also, I have that thing where I'm like, I did it. So if I can do it, it's, it's really hard to meditate 40 minutes a day. So if I can do it, I'm probably doing it wrong. Yeah. You know? Um, but we have to end. Okay, then. This has been so delightful. I a can't good thing to end you. on. Yeah, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so grateful. Of course. Not bad, guys. Right? I mean, pretty great, guys. Right? Uh, That was Shadow Stevens. This is After Party Pod. Um, I thank you so much for your support, for listening. The emails have continued to come in. Uh, Got this great one from from David uh, recently. Uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but it was beautiful and wonderful. And he talked about his journey uh, to sobriety and uh, shouted out to the Mishka Shubali episode. So do that. emails and um and again thank you and and go do find everything regarding shadow stevens if you know what's good for you see you next time